This is the day that the Lord has made, and we're going to do our best to rejoice and be glad in it. Am I right? Amen. I bring you greetings from Birmingham, Alabama, um, from Harvest Community Church and Pastor Mike Jones at that church. Um, I am incredibly grateful to be here. I am unworthy of this opportunity, but I am super grateful. And thank you to Pastor Ryan and Juliana for their hospitality, hospitality Lord, uh, that they've shown us thus far. This church is, is amazing. Um, just to see all of you guys, see all these different cultures and ethnicities, um, this is something beautiful and something that I will absolutely never forget. So um, thank you guys, thank you, thank you, thank you. Now to the word. We're gonna be coming today from 2 Corinthians chapter one, and I am going to read verses eight and nine. 2 Corinthians chapter one, verses eight and nine. If you all don't mind, um, if you're physically able, I ask that you would stand um, to reverence the word of God as, as it is read. We're going to read um, two passages of scripture. So this, 2 Corinthians 1, 8 to 9, and then we'll read a passage in Acts for context. The passage reads like this. It says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But... That was to make us not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. If you would turn also with me to Acts chapter 19. You can be seated. Acts chapter 19, verses 23 through 27. This is the context for the passage that we're reading today. Acts chapter 19. Verses 23 through 27. So Paul is writing this portion of scripture. He's writing 2 Corinthians um, from Ephesus. And he's writing them, telling them um, that he had been burdened, you know, beyond his strength. And so we're going to read what actually he's talking about in Acts right here in this passage of scripture, starting at verse 23. It says, about that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way for a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger, not only that this trait of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be disposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia 
and the world worship. Paul is writing about a particular event that happened. So the gospel has been going forth. Paul has been ministering in Ephesus for a Roughly two years, he's been preaching, and the passage tells us that all of Asia, the Jews and the Greeks and all of Asia, had heard about the gospel, the good news of Christ. And so Paul had been converting um, all of these people that were in the place of Ephesus. So the people who formerly worshipped false gods, they worshipped Artemis. Artemis was the Greek goddess of fertility. And so the silversmiths, they made these little replica dolls of silver, and people would buy them and take them to their homes and worship. And because this was such a popular place, Artemis was one of the seven ancient wonders of the world, many people came and many people bought the dolls. And so they made a lot of money from the sale of these dolls. But when people were being converted to Christianity, they were leaving the the worship of this God. So that's the context of this passage. The title of this text, back to 2 Corinthians, the title of this text is The Death of Self-Reliance. The Death of Self-Reliance. Paul had experienced unparalleled success in ministry in Ephesus. He had been preaching the gospel, as I said, for about two years, and all of the Jews and Greeks in Asia heard it. Now, people were being converted. They were being healed. They were being set free from evil spirits. People were even touching the handkerchief of Paul and being healed. But meanwhile, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians that he and his disciples had been burdened to the point they felt like God was trying to kill them. Look at the passage. It says, for we were, in verse 8, for we were burdened, so utterly burdened beyond our strength, that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. I think many of us, we can relate to Paul. I mean, many of us, we're not living in flagrant sin. We're born again believers. We're trying to follow God as sincerely and earnestly as we possibly can. We're in the will of God, and yet simultaneously, we can feel overwhelmed. We can feel weighed down. How can it be that I'm in the will of God, but I'm also suffering with depression? How can it be that I love God, and I'm trying to follow his ways, but I'm still having suicidal thoughts? God's will feels like it's suffocating me. Some of you are on jobs right now where you feel like your boss has zero respect for you. Others of you may be saying, I've been a Christian all of these years. I was talking to a young man just yesterday. He was saying, you know, I've been a Christian now for three or four years, but yet I still feel as though I'm struggling with basic elementary sins that I should be beyond, I should be past those by now. Some of you are dealing with just the sin of others. Are those closest to us who are constantly rubbing us the wrong way, 
disrespecting us, being unloving. How is it that we can be in the will of God? We can be God's children and still be going through so much pain. Some of us have bodily ailments that just won't seem to resolve. Others of us are just lonely. I just want somebody to be close to me. We all have been pushed to the place that is beyond our own strength. And like the old folks say where I'm from, if you haven't, just keep on living. You'll get there. Paul was perhaps one of the most influential men in all of world history. And yet he's experiencing the same. Paul had the board of trustees of the Silversmith Corporation conspiring against him. They saw that he was being a light and being a witness of the gospel. And evil spirits, evil powers provoked them to try to stifle Paul. Anytime, as an aside, anytime the gospel is going forth, we should expect the opposing power to also put up a fight. But notice the text, verse 9, Paul says, this was to make us rely on God. God allowed it. He allowed the affliction that Paul faced, even while he blessed Paul's gospel ministry. So we have to ask the question, why? Why, if God desires for people to know the gospel, if he wants his will and his word to go forth, why doesn't he make our paths clear? Why doesn't he give us joy every day, fill us fully with the Holy Spirit, make all of our paths clear, give us all the resources we ever would need? Why doesn't he do that? Well, I want to argue from the premise today that God is not trying to kill you. But God is trying to kill something in you. And it's your self-reliance. I believe that God is actually more concerned about who you are becoming rather than what you are actually doing for him. I have a daughter. She's three years old. I have two daughters, two daughters. One is five. One is three. Um, the three year old is my favorite. Don't tell my wife. I'm in London. I can say this. <laughs> Nobody's going to see it. The three is my favorite. And so when they get around two years old, all the all parents know this, but when they get around two, they start trying to do all the stuff on their own, right? They, they don't want any help doing anything. It doesn't matter what it is. So my daughter is, she has little pink Converse that we bought her, and they have shoestrings on them. Right. So she goes to the closet. She knows it's time to go, and she goes to the closet, and today she wants to put on her shoes by herself. Now, these shoes have shoestrings on them. Not to mention they're already tied and it's tied too tight where she can get it on her foot properly. I say, Maya, let, let me help you. I'm going to help you put your shoes on. And she's, no, no, and, and snatches the shoes and, and she runs off and she's sitting down somewhere else where I can't get to her so she can put her shoes on. So after about 15 minutes, I hear her screaming from the other side of, of my house, and she's frustrated. She's, she's crying, she's distraught now 
She says, Dad, Dad, I can't get my, I can't get my shoes on. And I believe many of us were running around, we're trying to fix everybody, trying to fix ourselves, we're trying to go on these great missions and do all these great things for God without God. And so God in his mercy, he allows us to try to put our shoes on. And he'll allow you to wrestle. He'll allow you to have strife and he'll allow you to to fight. He'll allow you to go through the pressure, the stress, the aggravation so that you can finally say, Daddy, I, I need I need help. I need you to help me to put my shoes on. Folks, I've come from Alabama to tell you God is not trying to kill you. But he is trying to kill something in you. And it's yourself. Reliance. We falsely believe that relying on God is an in case of emergency type of thing. It's the mask you pull down from the airplane if the plane is about to crash. In case of emergency, rely on God. But I want to argue that relying on God is the most basic and natural form of humanity. We were created to rely on God. When Adam was in the garden, his life was inseparable from the presence of God. God gave him everything. He named him. He gave him purpose. He gave him all of the food he would ever need. And when he, even before he knew he was lonely, God knew it, noticed it, and provided the need before Adam could even say anything, before he could ask for anything. Our most basic Natural state is in dependence and reliance on God. It's actually abnormal for us to be apart from God. It would be like seeing a chariot going down the street without a horse on it. It would be like having a house without a roof on it. It would be just as weird as seeing a foot going down the street not connected to a leg. In our most basic state, we are supposed to be in reliance on God. But instead, we have tried to be God. You remember the story in Daniel when King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and Daniel came and interpreted the dream and he told King Nebuchadnezzar, King, if you don't humble yourself, you are going to be relegated to the field like a beast. You're going to become something other than human if you refuse to rely on God. What does King Nebuchadnezzar do? He doesn't listen. He continues in his pride. One day he walks out on the porch, the top of his great empire, his kingdom. He looks over and he says, look at all the great things that I've done. Look at my great kingdom. Look at all that I've built and look at all that I've established. No sooner than the words come out of his mouth, he loses his actual mind. The Bible says that his reason fled him. He then goes out into the woods and he lives like an animal. He grows hair like an animal, nails like an animal 
and lives among the animals for a time until the Lord had mercy on him and allowed his reason to come back to him. See, in our pride, we try to ascend to this place where we feel as though we do not need God. We need God more than we need the air we breathe because our souls were made to be with God. God has always been with all of the people in the Bible. The story of of the Bible is just a story of a people group alongside of God, a people who have tried to walk away from God, but who God constantly has pursued and has chased. Like God told Hosea to go after the prostitute who left him. We, our souls are best when they are with God. God was with Joseph even when he was in slavery to show that God is with even the dejected. God was with Moses and he was with Gideon to show that God is even with cowards. God was with David. He was with Ruth to show that God is even with people that are in impossible circumstances. God is a with type of God. And we are a with type of people. We're built to be with God. But in our rebellion, we've decided to try to live a life without God. And so God has had to allow us to try to put our shoes on. It's actually an act of great mercy that God allows us to suffer. I don't want to make light of suffering. I come from America. I know it's easy for you to look at me and say, you know, what do you know about suffering? Have you experienced the type of pain that I've experienced? Do you know what what I've gone through? I've had my share. I don't want to make light of it. But we know as children of God, all things are under his purview. And there is nothing that he is going to allow to happen to you that he is not fully in control of. We serve a sovereign God. But we know also that being with God, being in reliance on God, is the natural state of what a man should be because we have that picture in Christ. Christ was the perfect man. He was the perfect man simply because he came and lived a life completely dependent on God. Now, you have to remember that the man Christ was also fully God and fully man. He had the ability and strength to do whatever he needed to do to accomplish God's will on the earth. He did not need to rely on God. But the reason he did rely on God is because he needed to come and to live and take our place as one who relied fully on God and lived a perfect life. If he would have come and done it in his own strength, it would not have been worth taking our place. So we see that man in his rebellion and his pride, he ran, we ran away from God. We ran away from that relationship. And when we run away, we realize that something is wrong, something is missing. And so we form religion. Religion, Karl Barth says, is man's greatest attempt 
to get to God without God. Religion convinces us that if we live good enough, if we keep enough of the law, we can make our way back on our own. I don't need Christ. I'm enough. So the law was given. Now, one of the uses of the law is literally to show us we can't keep it. But we still sometimes live under the burden of condemnation. Amen. The burden that I am supposed to carry all of this on my own. And by doing that, I'm going to put God into my debt. God will owe me because of how I live. I was talking to another young man yesterday and I told him the Lord has really been trying to shift my mind from trying to do everything right. To trying to love God more. Every day I was waking up with the burden of having to try to live this perfect life, making sure I cross all of my T's, I dot all of my I's, making sure everyone thought I was nice, making sure everyone thought well of me, making sure that I was gracious and my reputation was spotless. And it was causing me more and more fear and more and more angst because I was always more and more aware of my own sin, more and more aware of my own shortcomings. And one day when I was praying, the Lord spoke to me. I was reading through first John and he said, Dan, you've got it all wrong. The Bible says, if you love me, then you'll keep my commandments. Not if you're right, you'll keep my commandments. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Well, God, how do I stir up more and more love for you? The Lord began speaking to me further. He says, as you see more and more of your sin, it should make you more and more grateful for Jesus Christ. Jesus was the sacrifice that was brought to cover my sin. As I see more and more of my sin, I see more and more of my inability to ever, 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 ever get back to God without God. I need Jesus more and more every single day because every single day I see more of my bitterness. Every single day I see more of my anger. Every single day I see more of my unforgiveness. Every single day my heart reminds me that I need Jesus. I need him more and more because I see more and more of myself. So the law was given so that we could, yes, live a great life. We could live a life to the fullest. We should sin much less as we grow older in Christ. But the law is also given to show us that we cannot get there on our own. We need Jesus. Jesus is the one who came. He lived a life fully dependent on God. I think if some of us were Jesus and we were sitting on the cross with our arms stretched out and we had the same power that he had. We would have popped them nails out of our hands. I would have kicked that nail out of my feet, jumped down. I probably would have slapped the centurion. I would have texted Peter and John. I'd be like, meet me at Pilate's house in 15 minutes. We gonna handle this my way. But Jesus ain't like us. 
Jesus is not like you. Jesus doesn't treat you the way you treat him. Jesus is faithful to us no matter what. And so we can trust him. We can rely on him. He stayed on the cross because he knew if he did not stay, there would be no way that me and you and you and you and you and you and you would ever, 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 ever get back to God. It would have been hopeless. Completely hopeless. Practically speaking, I hope this whole thing has been practical, but practically speaking, how do we rely on God? I have one simple word. It's a preposition. It's just with. We, we do everything with God. I'm, I'm not trying to go and do all of this stuff on my own. I'm simply focusing my energy on being with God. I want to go. I want to share and be in the spirit and share the gospel, but be reminded that God is right there with me. I want to go and do my job and not feel like it's all on me to get it right. I have God there with me. In my parenting, I want to be able to teach my kids and not feel like I have to get everything right because I know God is there with me. It's a simple application. It's practicing the presence of God. Being with God is practicing the presence of God in the present. It's that simple. As I go about my life, I go about my day, I want to practice the presence of God in the present. I don't know if anyone here today, I don't want to make assumptions, has not given their life fully to Christ. There's a sense in which we all start out the same way. We all start out like my two-year-old. We all are trying to put our shoes back on. But would you see, would you stop and would you look and would you see where that has gotten you? Nobody is any different than you. We all need the same Jesus. Don't be fooled by people on Instagram. God feeds them with the same sun. He feeds them with the same plants. If he were to stop supplying oxygen, we all would be dead. Don't be fooled by people who look like they have it all together. We all need God. And that's where the humility can easily come in. I don't have to pretend I, I need God. And so as you go today, I want to just put this towards the person who may not know Christ. What are you trying to prove? What are you trying to gain? God has freely given us his son. He's freely given us grace. And Romans says, if he's given us his son, will he not also give us all other things? But the place we got to turn is right there from not actually our bad works. The place of repentance truly comes when we repent of our good works and see that our good works are not going to get us anything. When we turn and we repent at that place, 
from our good works and trust in Christ's good works, we are then saved. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you can be saved. If you confess your sin, confess, you know what? I, I can't do it. I can't do this on my own. I need help. And I'm going to believe Christ to cover my sins. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for the word. I thank you, Father God, for each and every person in here today. I pray, Father, that none of us would leave, Lord, feeling burdened, feeling overwhelmed, feeling as though we have to accomplish this on our own. You have given us so much grace, God. You have given us your son, Jesus. You have given us the Holy Spirit. You have given us everything we need to live a godly life. Father, would you help us to tap into that strength? Help us to tap into that power. Help us to tap into what it is you provided freely for us, Lord God, which is yourself. Lord, I pray that if there is a person here that does not know you, Lord God, I pray that they would confess now, Father, that they are sinful. It's not bad to confess that we all are there and that they need a savior. And that savior's name is Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, and we love you in Christ's name. Amen.